1 Peter 1, 18 to 19, he says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, says, which lose their value. You can see how precious it is. It says, it was with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And the first song we sang was talking about, oh, how precious the blood of Jesus. And in Philippians chapter 2, from 8 to 10, talks about the name. He says, he, that is Jesus, God, humbled, Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name, you can see that, above all other names. So no name like the name of Jesus. And in verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And the last scripture is in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. And it tells us about the power of the word. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. Some transition will say, for the word of God is quick and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit. Between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And that's the scripture. And Lord, we just... Thank you for this reading this morning. And we ask that indeed it will be a real source of blessing uh, to us as we look at the power in the blood of Jesus. Thank you once again for giving us this opportunity uh, to come to the scriptures together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Last Sunday we looked at um, the name of Jesus And for those who were here with us in that service, when we read those scriptures that talked about the power in the name of Jesus, I reminded us on that service of last Sunday that there are three things we know that the devil hates to hear in our spiritual warfare, especially when we come to God in prayer and coming to him to counter every attack of the enemy. And those three things are the one is the name of Jesus. The second thing is the blood and the third thing is the word. And if the devil can stop us from mentioning the name of Jesus, from talking about the blood of Jesus, or even by coming to the word, then the battle is basically lost for us as Christians. If you remember when we look at our spiritual armor, remember what the Bible talks about when we came to the part that speaks of the sword of the spirit. It says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So in our spiritual armor, we are called to be on the offensive. And so if as a Christian you're a soldier, you see yourself as a soldier, but you haven't got a sword, or you haven't come to know and understand how to use the word of God, then you're like a soldier going to battle, but you haven't got what it takes to win in that battle. And we saw the power in the name of Jesus. And of course, the name of Jesus is not just a name like any other name. It is a powerful name. I remember, I remember uh, that um, I did remind us last Sunday, that sometimes when we pray, and at the end of our prayer, we say, in the name of Jesus. And for some, using the name of Jesus seems to be something they add to the end of their prayer to show that their prayer is over, without actually having a strong revelation of the power behind that name, the name of Jesus. For us as Christians, using the name of Jesus is not something we use because we want to show that our prayers have come to an end. And so we say, in Jesus' name, and everybody says, Amen. 
What we are saying is that there is power in that name. That name stands for, carries the whole majesty of everything that Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. That name reminds the devil that Jesus Christ has defeated him. That name reminds demons that there is no other name given to us under heaven and earth under which any one of us can be saved. So it's a powerful name. And if you looked at, if you remember the scriptures we read last Sunday, we saw how the disciples of Jesus used the name of Jesus. You never see them praying or commanding or doing great works without mentioning the name of Jesus. And the reason why they did this is because Jesus Christ commanded and told them that before you have not asked in my name, but a time will come when you will begin to ask in my name. So they knew it. So when Jesus ascended to heaven, the disciples of Jesus now had to pray to God, but they were doing this praying through the name of Jesus. No wonder why Peter saw that man that was crippled. And he looked at him and said to him, Gold or silver, I have nothing. But such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. He could have prayed for that man and said, Well, I have nothing to give you, but rise up and walk. But the question is, in whose name is he praying? What is the power behind the, what the, his, um, uh, behind what he said? He looked at the man and said, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And it wasn't Peter producing the miracle. It was the power in the name of Jesus. In the same way, you see again, Paul, you remember that scripture? When Paul saw this lady who was demon-possessed or a sorcerer or who had a spirit of divination, Paul looked at her as well and commanded and said, the Bible said, and he spoke to the demon in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And that's what we do as Christians. We walk in that authority. When we are ill and sick or something is happening around us, we should stand on the authority of the name of Jesus. Lay hands on ourselves. Lay hands on our children. Command in the name of Jesus this situation. Yes, you may be standing right in front of me, but I believe a time will come. You will bow because I am standing and using the name of Jesus Christ. And once you discover the power in that name, your prayer comes alive. It makes things easier. You pray with authority because it's not you just praying. It's like Jesus has given you the power of attorney and you are acting on his behalf. But let's look at the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I know it's all about praying and coming to him and talking to God. But when we enter the throne room of God in prayer, we're not, we're not entering because we have what it takes to come before God. We are not talking to God because in ourselves we can approach him. And this is why the blood of Jesus is very important. We are coming to God, we are praying, and we are asking him all that we are asking for in the name of Jesus, solely on the basis that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we might be restored to a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that is very important, because if you don't have that understanding in prayer, and that's why sometimes the Satan accuses us in the place of prayer. We are going to be seeing that in a minute. And sometimes we come before him, we don't have that confidence to come. Either we are thinking of something that we've done wrong, or something that the enemy may be something from our past. I actually remember someone, this was a while ago, who found it very difficult to pray and to commune with God. And the main reason was that he felt so unworthy to come. He felt that there were things in his past, things that he had done, and so when he comes to the place of prayer, he feels that actually God is punishing him now for the things that he had done or for the thing that maybe seemingly he thought 
had been forgiven. But there's something about the blood of Jesus. And throughout the scriptures, I'm going to show all this. We'll go to Genesis chapter 3 in a minute. We find evidence of the shedding of blood as the means through which God provided for, not just for us, but for his children, to be reconciled both to himself and to one another. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to see this for those who know that story, after Adam and Eve sinned against God, there was something that happened. And sometimes we read that scripture, but we fail to see the importance of what is going on in that text in Genesis chapter 3. Remember, they had sinned against God and disobeyed. And God was already getting ready to banish them from the garden. But look at what happened in Genesis chapter 3. God actually made coats from an animal's skin to cover Adam and Eve. And that is very, very important for us. If you go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21 and look at what God did for them in the garden before they went out. He says, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and, and his wife. Now, if you read it on the surface, you say, so what is special about that? But let's remember, there is no way you can make clothing from animal skin without the animal dying and without the shedding of blood. So these coats that Adam and Eve had that God put on them was a constant reminder for Adam and Eve that God alone is the giver of life. That God alone is the author of life and God alone is the ruler of all life. And God was setting in motion that a time will come through the shedding of blood or without the shedding of blood, there will not be any remission of sin. So right from the beginning, God has set that in motion. God has set in motion that there will be shedding of blood. And of course, if you know the Mosaic law and all the things that follow, all the killing of animals, the bulls and all the sacrifice, the shedding of blood when they sinned against God, the making of atonement or atonement before God. It was pointing to something greater, that a day would come when Jesus Christ is going to make the ultimate sacrifice. So when God covered them or clothed them, it was a reminder, not just for them, but also for us, that a day will come when Jesus Christ was going to shed his blood, and in the same way, he will clothe us and cover us from our shame and our guilt. For those who are familiar with the story of the children of Israel, and the book of Exodus chapter 12, if you remember when the time came for the children of Israel to leave Egypt and go to the promised land, there was something as well that God did there. God required that the blood, the shed blood of lambs, should be put on the doorpost. If you remember that verse of scripture, when they had to kill the lamb and they had to put the blood on the doorpost. And you wonder why blood? Why were they doing this? And if you go to Exodus chapter 12, and we are going to see what happened in that context from verses 12 to verse 13. He says, on that night, this is what God was saying to them. And there's a lesson here for us. He says, I will pass through the land of Egypt. Remember, judgment was taking place. And strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. God was about to prove that he is the one and only true God. For I am the Lord. But look at verse 13. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, he says, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land, when I strike the land of Egypt. So when the angel of death went about slaying the firstborn and bringing judgment across the land, God was looking for something. 
God was looking for the doorposts for those houses that had the blood on it. And when he saw the blood, what happened? He had to pass over, over, over it. I think our screen is, um, he had to pass, uh, pass over it. Don't worry, it's not your father. Uh, he had to pass, um, over it. And so from that scripture it says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Think about that for a minute. When I see the blood, and so what God is saying again and reminding them is, I am making provision for life through the shedding of blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. In other words, they were covered by the blood. In the same way that I am covered by the blood, you are covered by the blood. And sometimes when we pray or when we get involved in spiritual warfare, that's what we need to remind ourselves. It doesn't matter what goes on out there and the angel of death or whatever is killing and destroying. But we come to God in confidence, saying to him, Lord, I am covered in the precious blood. We are not just talking about the blood or something that was just spilled on the cross and had no significance or meaning for us. But it covers, it speaks, it does something for us. The shed blood of Jesus on the cross was actually God's act of providing forgiveness for all who are going to receive him. And you can see that from what was going on, God was pointing to something that was going to happen in the future. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I see the blood, you are forgiven. When I see the blood, it doesn't matter what accusations the enemy will bring up against you. I have already done it and I have accomplished it for you. And that's why when we stand not just in the name of Jesus, we also invoke the power in the blood of Jesus because we understand what that blood did for us. If you go to the 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, a very important verse of scripture, it says, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, it says, then we have fellowship with each other. And look at the next thing he says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sins, cleanses us from all, not some, from everything. It doesn't matter how deep and how great or how bad that sin is, the blood of Jesus is more than sufficient. And through his shed blood, we know that Jesus, as we know, purchased our forgiveness from sin. And you remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 26, he actually reminded them of the need for the blood in terms of the new covenant that he has come to make with them. If you go to Matthew 26, look at verse 28. It says, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant. So what the blood of Jesus was doing was confirming the covenant between God and his people. So if you belong to God, then understand what the blood has done for you. It has confirmed that a covenant has already taken place. It has confirmed that you belong to God. It has confirmed that nothing can take you away from him. It confirms that the powers of hell, no demon from hell, can snatch you from the hand of God. And he says it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. You can see what Jesus is saying. That in dying for our sins on the cross, Jesus actually dealt a mortal blow to the devil. That means that Satan is now a defeated enemy. And I don't know if that brings gladness and joy to your heart. Anytime I think about the blood, 
Anytime I think about what Jesus Christ has accomplished for me, it reminds me of victory. And that's what we are talking about. We are overcomers. What we are saying is that not only was my sins forgiven, but Jesus Christ has dealt a mortal blow to the devil. Satan now is a defeated foe. I'm so sad that in some places or in some churches or places you go to, there is so much emphasis on the devil. And sometimes you get this wrong impression that the devil is this powerful enemy that we have, whom as Christians we ought to fear and constantly live in fear of our lives as Christians. But no, because what God is doing for us is that you have overcome. Not because you are an overcomer in yourself, but because of what he has accomplished. The moment his body was pierced and his blood was shed for you, something was happening. Not only did he give you access to now come into his presence, but what he is saying is that Satan has been defeated. Remember when he was buried? Three days, maybe the demons of hell rejoiced that the savior of the world is dead and is all gone now. But what happened? We knew there was, we know there was going to be a, th- a third day. And on that third day, the son of God rose victorious from the grave. So I have a means of forgiveness. The enemy cannot accuse me anymore before God. There's a scripture in the book of Zechariah, and I don't know how many of you have seen this scripture in the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah, it was a vision that God gave him in the book of Zechariah. And it's quite an interesting encounter there. And in that vision, he saw Joshua, the high priest, in Zechariah chapter 3. Maybe you can make note of this and read it at home. And I'm just going to read a few verses there for you. He says in verse 1 of Zechariah chapter 3, he says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And look at the next thing that is happening in that text. And Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And you wonder, why would the high priest be standing and Satan standing to oppose him? But you see what's going on in this text. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, he says, rebuke you. Is this not a brand uh, plucked from the fire? But look at verse 3 and you can see where the problem is. In verse 3 it says, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. No wonder why Satan came to oppose him. In the same way he can oppose and accuse those who are not covered and clothed in the, covered with the blood of the Lamb. And look at verse 4 what he says. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood by before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity. So you can see what God is doing to him, the high priest. I have removed your iniquity from you. I will now clothe you with, with, with rich robes. In the same way in Genesis, he clothed them and covered them and sent them out. In the same way here, Joshua was standing, but he had filthy garments on. And that tells you that with a filthy garment, you cannot really stand before him. Satan will oppose those who don't belong to God. Satan will oppose and pick on thoughts. Look at the man who said he serves and worships you. Look at what he's done. Can you see the filthy garment on him? So the beauty of what Jesus has done for us is that he then clothes us and covers us. So that Satan cannot stand before God and accuse us. If Satan accuses us before God, God reminds him of what Jesus Christ has done and said, you can no longer accuse him. 
because Jesus Christ has shed his blood for him. He died for him. He may be having filthy garments, but now he's clothed in righteousness and he can have access to come to me. If you go to this book of Revelations, a very wonderful verse of scripture as I begin to close in Revelations chapter 5 from verses 9 to 10. It tells us there that the blood of Jesus actually saved people from every tribe and tongue. And that is very important. So he's not just talking about a select group of people. He says there in verse 9 of Revelation 5, And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seal and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nations. And verse 10 says, And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. And that is what the blood of Jesus Christ did for us. The blood of Jesus, like I said, is a constant reminder that he has lost his battle with Jesus. And that's why in our praying, we are not only praying in the name of Jesus, but we are using the blood of Jesus as well. We are saying to the devil, as long as the blood of Jesus, as long as we remember that the blood of Jesus was shed on Calvary's tree, you have no power over anything that Jesus Christ has purchased. That's what the Bible tells us, that we are bought with the precious blood of Jesus. A good example in the natural is if you go to a shop and you buy something. Now, what do you get? You get a receipt for what you bought and you take it home. And it's an evidence to show that what you bought belongs to you. So if someone comes to you and confronts you and say, no, that's not yours, it is mine. You don't just hand it over. You say, no, I bought it. Now, how do you know that you've, you bought that? You show them the receipt and say, this is the evidence. It has been bought. In the same way, that is what we need to say to the devil and do when it comes to spiritual warfare. Sometimes he wants to make claim over us. Remember the song that we sang? Death has no longer claim, has no claim over me. It's a powerful statement. Defeat has no claim over me. Sin has no claim over me. Why? Because I have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Sometimes you may not even feel like it because of maybe the struggles and the trials and the things that you're going through. But you've got that receipt. You've got that evidence. You've got that something which shows that you have been bought and it is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The last scripture I'm going to show us this morning is in Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, I actually like the way the Bible puts this scripture because it talks about the blood of Jesus as well, but compares that to the blood of Abel. You know when Cain killed his brother Abel in the Bible. But it tells us that the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Now if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, And you're going to see from verses 23. It says, You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written. You can see how he describes us and our relationship with God. Whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. But look at verse 24. He says, you have come to Jesus. That's who we've come to. The one who mediates the new covenant. You see that again? The covenant between God and the people. And to the sprinkled blood. And I love this part now. Which speaks of forgiveness 
instead of crying out for vengeance, like the blood of Abel. If you go to the King James Version, it says, actually, it says the blood of Jesus. It says, speaks better things, and I like that, than the blood of Abel. He speaks better things. And I believe that as we come to him, as this scripture tells us, that blood will speak better things for you. When I come to the place of prayer, I call on that blood. I say, speak better things for me. Speak forgiveness for me. Speak healing for me. Speak restoration for me. Speak reconciliation for me. Not because I'm just saying it, but I know that is what the Bible says, that that blood speaks of forgiveness. And it also says, like I've said, it speaks of better things. So not just only forgiveness, but everything that pertains to life and to godliness. That blood speaks for me. This was a prayer I prayed yesterday in my room. And I was praying, God, let your blood continue to speak better things for me. We know the blood of Abel. When Cain killed his brother, his blood was crying out. But he was crying out for vengeance, but not the blood of Jesus the blood of Jesus, he said, is far better than the blood of Abel. So if God could act on the spilled blood of Abel in the old covenant, how much more the precious blood of Jesus Christ will he not act on your behalf and will he not speak better things on your behalf? When you understand this spiritual truth and reality, not only does it change your praying, but it changes your concept and your relationship as you come to Jesus, that I'm not just calling upon his name alone because there is power in that name. But also, there is great power in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The blood was not an accident. It was something that God ordained right from the foundation of the world. That through his blood, we come into this covenant relationship. Through his blood, ownership, we change ownership. I no longer belong to the devil and his works, but I have come into a marvelous and a wonderful relationship with Jesus Shall we bow our hearts this morning as we reflect on what this means for us?